We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
was sitting in the office of a very dear friend, David Wilkerson from the Times Square Church. He was my pastor, my father in the faith. And we were sitting in the office talking together about Jesus and about the work of the gospel. He was sharing with me that he had just purchased several thousand extra feet of church space for ministry right on Broadway in New York City in Manhattan. I knew that property was extremely expensive. And so I said to him, David, you've been extremely faithful and generous to God's people. You seem to always have a great deal of resource available. How do you explain that? How do you explain this incredible Times Square church that you have raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit? He laughed and he turned. He said, it's no secret, Ray. He turned to his scripture. He opened his Bible to Isaiah, the 58th chapter. I want to read for you the word he read to me. Isaiah 58, he began reading in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free, that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out on thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. And the righteousness, thy righteousness, shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord will answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, and the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanities. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt rise up the foundation of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. He looked up at me, and with absolute seriousness said, Ray, if you will do this, God will break forth in mighty power and revival in your ministry. I've never forgotten that word. 
I believe he's right. A key part of this is stop putting forth the finger and speaking vanities. That is, stop pointing an accusation and judgment at others and instead giving them the benefit of the doubt. Lift them up. Encourage them. Love them. Do acts of kindness toward them. And the Lord will see and know. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. With me in studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. We're from the National Prayer Chapel. Lord Jesus, as we come to this broadcast today, it is the cry of our heart that you would turn the desert into a place of water, of blessing. For today, Jesus, I know that many are listening who are in bondage, bondage to sin, bondage to poverty, bondage to sickness. Lord, many today who listen are in bondage, and we're coming asking Jesus that the bondage could be broken right now, that they could be set free right now. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. To begin our broadcast today, I've asked Alexandra if she would read for us a story that comes from Jackie Pullinger. We're reading just a brief story from a different book. This is not Chasing the Dragon. This is from a book that's more of a photo essay called Crack in the Wall. Life and Death in Kowloon Walled City. This was written sometime after Chasing the Dragon. One of my favorite things about this book is it has pictures of these converts, these former addicts who've been saved, and they all look so happy. You can just see them glowing with Jesus. The story we'll share today briefly is of a man named Nam Suk. Pullinger writes, Nam Suk was at one time one of the oldest residents at Tai Tong, which was an area under a flyover where homeless people were sleeping. During the worship meetings, he preferred to sit cross-legged on the floor, semi-preoccupied with folding and refolding his handkerchief. Every so often, he would lift the stained cloth and hold it briefly against his forehead, his cheek, or his eyes. He joined in the worship, in fact, he loved it, but his hunched shoulders disclosed burdens still buried. Nam Suk was born in China and had watched his home being burned to the ground by the Japanese during the war. His father had long since deserted the family, and his two brothers had been killed. Nam Suk was the only one left who could help the rest of them survive. He turned to crime. In 1949, the communists became another threat, and Nam Suk, a wanted man by now, fled to Hong Kong. His intention was to sit out what he considered to be a brief communist takeover and to use that time to make his fortune. He disliked Hong Kong intensely, and on a foolish return visit to China, which he loved and missed, he was arrested and thrown into prison. 
After five tortuous years, he chose to risk death by escaping with six others rather than endure the hardship of prison any longer. Hong Kong was no better the second time around. He found work on a construction site, but after a near-fatal fight on the job, he found himself imprisoned again. Nam Suk had been an addict since he was two years old. His father gave him opium to stop him crying one night. It worked so well that the toddler was fed the drug regularly, and addiction was inevitable. Opium satisfied Nam Suk until he was introduced to heroin in prison, and by the time I met him there, he had been an addict for over 40 years. It had not occurred to him to give up his habit, which might explain why he misunderstood my invitation to the walled city on his release. He had no idea that it had anything to do with coming off drugs. He thought we had a rendezvous at his favorite bean curd food stall, which was a specialty of the city. He was surprised, therefore, to find himself in the well with people praying for him, and although he prayed, his heart was not into following Jesus. He drifted away. Funnily enough, it was bean curd which lured him back to the walled city a few months later, but before he could get as far as the food stall, he saw police. He panicked, the heroin he had just bought burning a hole in his pocket and his conscience. The only place he could think of hiding was the well. The moment he walked through the door, he dramatically threw the heroin on the floor and asked to come into our home to change his life. And that was how he came to live in our home. And after a few months, he was a much happier man, but something was obviously still bothering him. It'd been a good meeting so far. They'd talked about forgiveness in particular. Someone turned and asked Nam Suk what he thought. There was a heavy silence. The handkerchief was refolded with unusual vehemence. Then Nam Suk, who very rarely spoke in meetings, began to speak, hesitantly at first. He spoke for a long time, his voice rising and falling, at times breaking. He was revealing pain he'd kept hidden for years. One or two left their seats to sit by him and put a comforting arm around him as he spoke, tears now falling down his cheeks. Guilt and loneliness poured out of Nam Suk, things he had done years before in China and for which he now had no way and no means to make restitution, things he'd never before been able to tell anybody. He understood vaguely that God forgave him but he could not see how anyone else could. As he finished speaking, without prompting, the young men gathered around him and began to pray for him, tears in their eyes, too. Namsuk had hated people in the triad gangs. When he first came to Hong Kong in the walled city, they had beaten him up and terrorized him, and he knew there could never be anything good in a triad member. And yet it was now to these once triads that he opened up, and who responded spontaneously to his pain with love and concern. Through them, Nam Suk realized the depth of God's love and forgiveness for him. He discovered that he was accepted, 
he sat up straight, a new dignity in his eyes. I love that story. A story of compassion. That's how it works. That's what the church is to be. Not a place of the pointing of the finger and speaking foolishness, but a place of mercy and compassion and love. And I rejoice in Jesus and his wonderful compassion and love for me. This word, compassion, is very interesting. It doesn't mean just sympathy. It doesn't mean just pity. It means something much, much deeper than that. The scripture talks about it as the moving of the bowels. The stomach was the seat of emotion. It still is today. Certain things can happen and the pain of your bowel as it seizes up. Very difficult. There's a story in the scripture. It's found in Mark, the first chapter. It's about Jesus just after he has opened his ministry called some disciples and now he's preaching throughout all of Galilee he's casting out devils he's healing the sick but this is not casual work to Jesus verse 40 this is Mark the first chapter verse 40 and by the way we find this story also in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, all three include this story. There came a leper to him. Now, please understand, in the scripture, the word leper does not necessarily mean only leprosy. It can mean a whole variety of intense skin diseases that causes a person to be forced out of their home rejected at the synagogue or the temple, isolated to live in a cave, sometimes starving to death. The reason for that being that the disease is highly contagious. And so they had to cover their mouth and cry, unclean, unclean, so that no spittle would go out. He knew he was an unclean man but he'd heard about Jesus. And so he came, the scriptures say, beseeching him, begging of him. And he kneels down in front of Jesus. He cries out after Jesus. He runs after Jesus. The crowd would part quickly. They want nothing to do with a leper. He kneels down in front of Jesus and he says unto him, this is Mark 2, verse 40, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. It's clear from this story that when we cry out after Jesus and we believe that he can make us clean, Jesus can be moved with compassion. That is not emotion, but literally his gut seized up in him. He saw this poor man's condition. He had come to release the captive, to set the the bondage, to break the bondage. He had come to release and to free and to heal. And now he sees this man in the desperate clutches of the devil, in sickness. And he's moved with compassion. Do you know what the root word of compassion is? pain. Literally, Jesus is moved with inner pain at this man's condition. And out of that inner pain that Jesus feels regarding this man's condition, he puts forth his hand and touches him. Nobody touches a leper. Nobody touches a leper. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. And he says unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Jesus is still in the business of being moved with compassion. If you go to him honestly, and you cry out after him, and you say, if you will, you can change my circumstances. You can change my relationship with my wife. You can change my relationship with my husband. You can change, Jesus, what's happening at my job. I feel trapped, depressed, and discouraged. Jesus, you can change that. I know you can. Jesus is still in the business of saying, I will be clean. Jesus is still being moved with compassion for you. And he'll put forth his hand and he'll touch you. There's one sermon that Jackie Pullinger did. She said, God didn't send a DVD. He didn't send a text message. He came in the flesh. It's hard to be moved with compassion on a text message. No, Jesus came, physically walked among us, was moved by compassion, by pain, as he saw the condition of the human body and the human soul. He was moved with compassion. You don't have to live in that place of abuse anymore. You don't have to live in that place of suffering anymore. 
If you will cry out to Jesus, he will deliver you. You don't have to spend the next 20 years struggling, struggling, struggling. You don't have to die of that sickness. You can cry out to Jesus and he will be moved with compassion and he will act on your behalf. One of the things that has so moved my heart in this Jackie Pullinger book, Chasing the Dragon, and also in this one crack in the wall, are the many times that Jesus came in vision and said, I want to be your friend. Will you come and follow me? And they got up and followed Jesus and were totally changed, totally delivered, set free from their crack addiction or their drug addiction or their whatever it was, they were set free. I want to say you can be set free today. Now I want to turn this around. I want to speak now from the other side. It is not enough to preach repentance and righteousness because repentance and righteousness, piety, if they do not end up in our being moved with compassion for someone, if we do not feel the pain in our gut for someone and say there has to be a change here. I remember I'm driving this 19, was it a 96? 1996. Toyota. Its paint is chipping off. It's old. Crippled. Right now sitting disabled in my drive. I had saved the $20,000 to buy a new car. And I was looking around to see what I could find. And a family had a desperate, desperate need. They were going to be evicted. He was going to lose his business. I was moved with compassion. Stopped by their home and gave them the cash. Now, that didn't mean that I got a new car. That meant I continued to drive the old car. And I rejoice driving it because I know my heart was moved with compassion. So I ask the question, has your heart been moved with compassion? Have you allowed the needs of another person to move you so deeply that you acted See, compassion connects our eyes with our hands to the stomach. Alexandra has some things she's going to share with us. We'd like to invite you over this weekend to do at least one act of kindness for somebody else. 
Now, when we speak about an act of kindness, we're not talking about something that you're obligated to do. So let's say you're a police officer or you're a teacher. You should be acting in kindness throughout your job anyway. We're talking about going out of your way to do things that may be very unpleasant to actually help somebody else. So we find a list of what these acts of kindness look like, of what it looks like to be moved with compassion. In Matthew 25, I would say this is not an exhaustive list, but Jesus gave us this as a sample so that we would understand the type of lifestyle we're to be living. This is from Matthew 25, verses 34 to 36. He's describing the separation of the sheep and the goats at the end of time. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. So what we have on this list is we have feeding those who are hungry, giving water to those who need it, clothing, visiting the sick, and visiting people in prison. Now I just want to say here, there's a danger because we live in a culture that does things like go walk to prevent suicide. And we look at that and we say, what, it, what is the connection between me walking down downtown Fairfax and someone not committing suicide? There's a total disconnect there. I'm not saying that those things are bad. But that's not what we're driving at here when we're talking about actually seeing someone who is thinking about committing suicide and going out of your way to love and encourage that person to change their mind. Because you see their condition, you're moved with compassion, and that compassion generates action. So some real life examples, these are things that I just wrote down that I've done. Um, there's many other examples besides these, but I just wanted to give you some to help you start thinking about this. So one example would be visiting a sick brother, sister, or lost person in the hospital. I'm not speaking here about a relative whom you're obligated to visit. I'm not speaking here about a friend who you really like, who you're going to visit anyway. I'm speaking here about someone who, when you go to the hospital to see them, they'll end up saying or feeling something like, you really didn't have to do this. I wasn't expecting you to come. It's going out of your way to show that love for the other person. And as we do these things, it's important that we always pray. You can ask the person, may I pray for you? And usually they'll say yes. If they don't want you to pray for them, you could pray with them later by yourself. But it's important to always pray for them. You may visit someone who is dying. This is often not done. I was very sad to hear 
a brother whose mother just died three weeks ago, and he was the only person there when she died. And one of the last things she said was, where are they? That's what she said as she was dying. She said, where are they? Meaning the rest of her children. Where were her family? I mean, I thank God that at least her one son was there as she died. It's not pleasant to see somebody dying. But that's a very important time to go see them. That's a time when we can pray for them, when we can read scripture to them, when we can bring them favorite foods that they like, when we can clean the sweat off their face, when if they're perhaps dying in their home, to clean their bathroom. I've done this on a number of occasions. I've gone to somebody's home while they're in a crisis and I don't say anything, I just clean the bathroom. It's usually a wreck, but it needs to be cleaned. And I try not to let them find out I cleaned it because they usually feel humiliated if they find out that I cleaned their bathroom. So I just do it without saying anything. Now this could also look more integrated into your daily life. For example, I went to get my car repaired and the man who was working on my car had been in a horrific accident several months earlier and was wearing a back brace. And I said, can I pray for you? And he was so happy that I prayed for him that he took my email out of the system because all of our contact information is in the, the car service company system. And he sent me several emails thanking me for praying for him. You can pray for people wherever you are. If you're at the gym and someone is sharing with you a problem that they're having, instead of just saying, oh, well, I'm really sorry about your situation, you can say, let me pray for you about it. Almost everybody has something that they need prayer for. And even if they're not religious, if they are an atheist even, many people are willing to be prayed for. And that is an opportunity for them to meet Jesus. And once they have met Jesus, once they have either seen him answer a, a prayer for healing, a prayer for a certain change with their family, a prayer for money, say their rent needs to be paid. Once they see Jesus answer and they've encountered Jesus, now there's an opportunity for them to come to Jesus. Now, even if that opportunity isn't there, you still did a good thing. You should still do acts of kindness, even if nobody believes in Jesus. But we praise God because people do believe in Jesus as we're kind to them. Some other examples include uh, walking to visit a homeless tent community and when you go bringing them food. And this is important, listening to them. A lot of these people have just never had someone honestly listen to them. They haven't been treated like a human being with dignity who's worth, you know, having someone just ask them questions about who they are and then listening as they respond. Visiting them when they end up in jail, I've had to do that. Bringing uh, lotions, creams, clothing to a new mother. This is especially important with single moms. And I just want to add here, it says throughout the scripture that we are to care for the fatherless. 
Some translations say orphan. But fatherless, that's a single mom situation. Jesus cares very much for single moms and their kids, and we don't want to get on our high road and say, oh well, you sinned in having a child out of wedlock, and so I am not going to reach out to you. Of course they sinned in having a child out of wedlock. That's why they need Jesus. Are we going to write them off because of one sin they've committed? Or are we going to extend kindness and love and call them to Jesus? You might offer to babysit. Another example, there was a homeless person sleeping at a bus stop outside my neighborhood some years ago. It was very cold out. He was an angry, violent man, not someone I would have invited into my home. I do sometimes, I have sometimes, invited homeless people into my home to shower, to sleep there for a few nights. But this was not a man I could do that with. He was a very hostile person. But I still, it was really cold out. He was a very thin person, young. I think he was probably on some kind of hallucinogenic drug. And so I brought him out a hat, some gloves, a blanket and a sheet, and a jar of hot tea, which he actually ended up throwing at me and breaking. But I was able to give him these things so that he lived through the night. It was about 30 degrees out. It was very cold. And I was able to pray for him. You might not always get a wonderful response to your outreach, but Jesus is pleased. Uh, I would also just add, there's a few more things I've jotted down. Um, The main thing that we're talking about here is that You're taking on other people's burdens as if they're your own. That's what Jesus did for us. He took the burden of our sin, of our sickness, of our grief, of our pain. He took that burden on himself as if it was his own. And that's what we're talking about here with these acts of kindness, is to go out of our way to do unpleasant things and that take on other people's burdens as our own. I have a friend now who is probably going to have to move soon, and his current plan is to sleep in his van. And so I've been praying and looking to try and find some kind of housing for him. If I love somebody the way I love myself, that means that I wouldn't want to be living in my van, and that means, well, I don't want him living in his van. So I'm going to take the initiative on his part as I would if it were me actually in that situation. And this goes with other things. It's not just helping people find housing. It could be you take someone to the government center to sign up for an EBT card. It could be that you have to take someone to the doctor or the dentist and actually pay for it. Because if you don't take them, they're never going to get there. Would you like to add anything? Well, as I listen to the description you're giving, these are magnificent acts of kindness that draw a person to Jesus. Now, there are other much simpler things that you can do. One of the things that Alexandra does regularly is she keeps a bottle of water in the car ready to hand to a homeless person when she has no money which is often 
She'll stop at the homeless person and offer them a bottle of water. I've never seen it rejected. Everybody needs water. Everybody needs clean, fresh water. There are other things that you can do, very simple things. A friend is having a tough time. They're, they're having a hard time with their family. Go buy dinner for them or make dinner for them and just take it by their house. We were having a very difficult time financially some time back, and we came home, and there was a $100 of cash in our mailbox. We don't tell people when we're having a hard time, normally, but there was a $100 in our mailbox, and it's exactly what we needed. I wonder what that person was thinking when they drove up to my mailbox, opened it, and put a $100 in it. I was very grateful. I was moved. I, that was Jesus. And then others who have stepped forward and given sacrificially and magnificently for the work of the gospel. I've been moved to tears by these people. I don't understand how they can do it. We're on the air today only because of such kindness. Some of you listen every day to the broadcast, but you have never allowed yourself to be moved with compassion. And so you've never given. And you don't know the way we go to the mailbox every day praying as we go, Lord, you know what the need is. Could you please move in someone's heart to give? Because we want to give to others. We want to lift others up. Talk about your project. I'm working on putting together a bra party. I have befriended a woman who lives in a trailer park. And it's not even a nice trailer park. I befriended her, and I, I don't know how this occurred to me, but I was just thinking about her, and I said, I bet she really needs some new bras. And then I thought, I bet she knows other people who need new bras. So I shared the idea with Ray, and he thought it was a great idea. So I asked her about it. I said, would you like to have a girl's day out? You know, you could invite a couple of your friends, you know, maybe three or four of us. And we can go to the bra store and you can all pick out a bra and some new panties. And I said to her, I know what it's like. I, I used to have all tan panties with holes in them. I said, it's, it's, it's not fun. It doesn't, it's, it's not good for your self-esteem. I want to do this for you. I said, would you like to do that? To have a girl's day out and then I'm hoping we can go out for dinner afterwards. I said, I don't have any money to do this. But I'm praying, and I'm asking Jesus to send the money. And she said, yeah, that would, that would be great. I mean, if you want to spend all that money on us. I said, yeah, I, I would love to do that for you. And so we've talked a little bit since then. We have a date set, October 14th. It's a Sunday. We'll probably go around 3 in the afternoon. And 
I'm still praying for the money. I have one friend who I shared the idea with, and she said, that's awesome. I want to sponsor one of the women. Uh, we're looking at about, um, for the whole thing, we're looking at about $600. And I've spoken since then with the, my friend, who is one of the women going out, and she says, you know, I really need some new bras. I'm really excited about going, and I had given her just a few other things last time I saw her, like makeup and, you know, body powders and things like that. And she said, thank you so much for these things. They, She said, I'm having such a hard time in my life, and it's nice to just have these little things that make me feel better and help get my mind off what I'm going through. This isn't difficult stuff, but it does require a lot of gentleness, a lot of kindness, not being judgmental or looking down on these people because a lot of them are very shy. Um, they, it's, it's challenging to cross a huge socioeconomic culture gap uh, without them feeling uncomfortable. And so, you know, the last time I visited her, I spent a lot of the time just playing with her seven-year-old son. I would bury him in stuffed animals, and then he would jump out. And then he would bury me in stuffed animals, and then I would jump out. Uh, I'm hoping to take them on a picnic soon. Th these are just simple acts of kindness that I'm doing. And you also and talked to them about Jesus. Yes, I prayed with them and she's when I open. visited. Um, but she's going through a very hard time, and I'm praying for her, and I'm really praying, Lord, I need you to actually step in and meet this woman. This woman needs to meet you, Jesus, because I can't save her. Jesus has to save her. And so I'm praying for that divine revelation of himself to her in some way. I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's what I'm praying for. But see, Alexandra, this is the joy. We don't have to ask them four questions and then say, will you accept Jesus? We have to be Jesus to them and believe that Jesus will come and meet them where they are and touch them and cleanse them and restore them. Yes, and I, I do speak about Jesus and I do pray with them, but I'm not... I'd, let me put it this way. I used to have an evangelism strategy where I went out with my tracks and I would just hand out tracts to everyone. And I've, I've found that that often gets you kicked out of places, which isn't what I want to happen because you're passing out something. Okay, but you can accomplish this more strategically just by starting a conversation. I can usually start a conversation with just about anybody. You know, you start a conversation and usually within a couple minutes they'll say something that is wrong with their life. Or they'll say something that opens the door for you to ask them about their faith. And that's then an opportunity for you to pray with them. And I keep my cards with me. I have business cards with my name, phone number, the National Prayer Chapel website, um, the radio. And I give those out. So I'm prepared. But I'm not just passing them out willy-nilly. It's in the context of conversation and assistance. But what we most want is to open the door that they would desire like this leper, that Jesus would meet them 
Jesus is still in the business of meeting people. Absolutely. He's still in the business of healing people. And I don't know what your condition is today before him. He wants to meet you. You may know all the theology and be stuck in your piety and only know an emotional sense that you love Jesus. But you really need to meet him. He's awesome. And he will break the bondage of your life. He will set you free. He will pour out his love into your heart. He'll set your feet to dancing regardless of what your circumstances are. And then he'll change your circumstances. This is the joy of the gospel. And by the way, in the last minutes we have of this broadcast today, if you look at Matthew 14, verse 14, you find Jesus looks at a whole crowd of people and he is moved by compassion for all of the crowd. And then he begins to heal their sick and restore them and set them free. He feels pain in his gut for them. And there is a connection between feeling the pain in our gut because we have gone to where the people are and we reach out with healing to touch those people to make a difference with an act of love and kindness. And Jesus did that by healing people. Feeding them. And then in Matthew 14, he goes on and he feeds the 5,000. 10,000, 5,000 men and probably at least another 5,000 women and maybe another 5,000 children. He feeds everybody. And they go away rejoicing because they've been healed and they've been fed. They've been restored. They have new hope. Well, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra. And next Monday... We are going to open the phone lines and we're going to ask you to call and share the act of kindness that you have done over the weekend. I'm eager to hear from all of you. Now, it could be an act of kindness that you did, but it could also be an act of kindness that was done to you. We want to hear from you. At so, the very least, pray for somebody. Pray for someone that they will be set free. Bless them. Say, God bless you. Now, we also would like to hear from you by writing, by mail, inviting you to give gifts to cause this broadcast to be able to succeed and for us to begin reaching out even more to the poor. If you would like to donate for the bra party, you're welcome to just write bra party in the memo section of the check. And it will go directly to that purpose. Well, we could hear from you at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Our hope is that today has put a smile on your face and that you're eager to go and do an act of kindness and report to us on Monday what you've done. God bless you. You can also visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com.
That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Thank you. You can also reach us by phone 703-489-1785. If you'd like to be a part of the excitement, call us. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.